Good morning. Good Hello. morning. And our guest is Sam Mirror. Uh, Sam Mirror is the founder of Win Win Guru LLC, an organization dedicated to providing personal and professional development resources, life coaching, strategic planning, and corporate training. Established in 2016 in the New York metropolitan area, Sam supports uh, seasoned professionals and young adults alike and is also partnered with Peak, which is an extension of the School of Health Professions at Long Island University of Brooklyn to create youth and professional development programs. Welcome, Sam. Hi there, VJ. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So um, why don't we start off just by talking a little bit about, I want to have you talk a little bit about the philosophy of win-win and why you chose uh, your book uh, is called um, A Poet's Journey, Bon Voyage. Uh, so why did you choose poetry in order to express this philosophy? Yeah. Sure. Well, poetry has been the pillar of my foundation and success for quite some time. Um, I started writing poetry, I want to say about mm, 15 years ago. <laughs> and um, I discovered this talent when I was in grade school. Thankfully, a teacher saw something in me that I didn't know I had. And he brought it to the surface, um, entered me into a contest, a poetry contest that was organized here in New York City, but it's nationwide. And lo and behold, I won. And Congratulations. Delighted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but what it did was it exposed me to an avenue of expression that I didn't know existed for me. Since then, poetry has been a fundamental tool in helping me find my voice as a young girl, especially being from the Brooklyn, New York area. Good, good. So um, tell us a little bit more about the philosophy of win-win and how that uh, informs that, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's as literal as it sounds. Um, it's embodying the win-win mindset, being that we can all win. There's like no competition, essentially, in my mind. And what Win-Win Guru stands for is helping those interested in finding their voice manifest their goals and desired dreams. And we provide and facilitate that process, particularly using the avenue of publishing. Um, but that's what it stands for, having the win-win mindset and helping everyone achieve. I think that's really wonderful because especially there, there's sort of this debate I feel going on with, um, I guess, quote unquote, amateur or emerging writers and professionals alike with the idea, um, we, with the debate about whether or not uh, writers should pursue MFA programs yeah. and the idea of competition among writers. And I think a lot of scholars are treating writers they're treating writing and publishing as though it's a zero sum game. You're in competition with somebody. You are chosen over somebody when in reality, how, how do poets compete with one another? Yeah. Right. There is, it's not as though the average reader or student has a capacity for the amount of poetry they can read. Yeah. And um, it seems to me like the more we flood publishing with poetry the more we take poetry seriously the better it is for everybody uh so it always it always makes me laugh a little bit when i see um seasoned writers who have gone to mfa saying don't go to an mfa program you know it's too much competition it's a waste of time i'm kind of like well it's actually just an academic journey where you learn shit right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, for lack of a better way of saying it yeah, I mean, I think that um, we definitely have to draw on uh, our own power sources and, and acknowledge other people and appreciate other people, appreciate the the, the that we can we can rise up, we can uh, 
help those around us rise up in order for us to rise up. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. So also you draw, in your book, you draw a lot from ancient wisdom traditions. If you talk a little bit about the spiritual traditions you grew up with and uh, how that informs your your own perspective today, yeah. And if you could make sure that um, you identify what those are and give us a little background because yeah. we have such diverse listeners, not everybody may be familiar off the bat. Yeah, sure, sure. You can go ahead, yeah. I know you draw a lot from biblical quotes and such, so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, there's some sound truth in some of those texts. Um, a lot of those principles have been governing principles for me only because they made sense. Right? I mean, is there a specific set of principles, a specific spiritual belief that you follow or spiritual beliefs is what I'm saying so that we can better understand these sets of beliefs that you're talking about? Yeah, sure. So I would define myself as a Christian mm -hmm. um, and I do follow the teachings of the Bible. Um, I do agree with some of them uh, as well as some of the esoteric teachings. So I think it's actually I uh, I've combined a lot of different philosophies from different doctrines and concluded what made the most sense and what I identified as my truth. Um, so you might find a lot or the base foundation of those principles stemming from biblical. Yeah, doctrine. no, I wasn't meaning to limit. I was kind of going for like a greatest hit. Um, spiritual <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not so much to restrain, but just to give some sort of context to um, these things that you'll be talking about. Essentially, yeah, like essentially, like I am gung ho about love. I love love, and it's one of my biggest governing principles. And for me, it is a religion. It is the thing that navigates me and steers me. And um, it's 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 one of the things. Integrity is another. I try to filter everything through those principles: love, integrity. Yeah. Good, good. So, um, but talking a little bit about kind of growing up and how, did you, and how your uh, religious spiritual upbringing was. If you talk a little bit about that and how uh, your family and stuff like that, and how you were able to learn, uh, kind of the impressionable age. You know, I think we really soak in this information and stuff. Both yeah. through, teaching through teaching and experience. And through teaching and experience, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in a very simple household. We were not religious people. We did not go to church. Um, it wasn't until I, you know, discovered some uh, informations, you know, information through non-traditional ways that kind of formed questions about the world, how things work, that kind of took me on this journey. Um, and once I, you know, got on the path of pursuing self-knowledge and just understanding the world, for me, it was about exploring and then bringing my family into that circle because they were just pretty much you know, everyday working people that were focused on the essential goals and day-to-day -day things. Um, <laughs> so I would like to say somewhere around 13 or 14, I became really intrigued, um, studied a lot of non-traditional stuff, conspiracy stuff, if you will. Um, yeah. um, and then just learning about that just kind of forced me to learn more about the um, spiritual side of self. I also decided to embark on the homeopathic practitioner, which kind of brought me into a more natural, holistic way of appreciating life. Was there any specific story or event in your life that sort of clinched it for you and sent you on the formal aspects of your spiritual journey? Because as you said, discussing church and community, those things aren't essential to religious right. practice, but it seems like they interested you. And for a lot of people, 
that sort of tipping point comes from a major event in life. Did that happen for you or was it more of a gradual thing? It was definitely, it was gradual, but there was a specific event that kind of helped me realize uh, the power can you tell us a little word. bit about that Absolutely. event? Yeah. <laughs> Give us the um, backstory. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, I want to say I was a teenager and I'd been writing poetry for about three, four years now. Um, and I discovered the power of poetry. Um, one day I looked back at some work that I had had and um, realized that I'd been writing about future events that did not occur yet. Um, I know it sounds pretty weird, but it was in that moment that I read back in reflection, noticed that things that I would write would eventually manifest. And do, do you remember any of those? Sorry, sorry to keep bugging you. I no, just find no. this so interesting. I'm <laughs> yeah. trying, to, trying to figure out if you remember any of those specifically, just so we can get a better picture of your story. Yeah, absolutely. So at one point, I think um, I was influenced by like love poetry and um even like some slam and sad poetry. So I would write, you know, situations that didn't weren't necessarily my experience. For example, I would write about heartache, bad breakups. And I noticed that that was not necessarily my story. But eventually, I want to say years later, as I progressed and I started dating and getting into relationships, that it became my story. Was there and, any one particular relationship that sort of, I, and again, not oh, there were plenty. Okay. Yeah. Just plenty, but maybe my first love. Okay. Maybe my first love. It's always love. a good place to start yeah. with stories. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, we were together. It was great. And then something happened. He moved away. And for no reason at all, I was just, devastated and you know heartbroken that sounds like there year. was a good reason yeah. <laughs> well i understand looking yeah. back when we're young we yes. think oh yeah. you know but at the time it's so powerful and isn't that what poetry is made of yeah that power of the moment it is that we transcribe it is yeah. but for me to me it was it was just it was out of the clear blue it was unexpected move mm -hmm. and it was instant and so it was so devastating because we didn't plan or have this discussion prior. Um, and about how old were you? Ish, probably about sixteen ish. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, it it wasn't the worst, right? Because I was actually graduated from high school when I was about sixteen years old. So I was actually planning to go to college anyway, which means I had a few options. So if I really wanted, I could have gone to the same state. However, I didn't. Um, it's a really mature I, choice to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> what I did notice was the fact that I had begin writing um, about situations that didn't yet occur, but then that later manifested. And I believe that it was as a result of my writing. And to go back to your question, it also showed me the power of spoken word and mm. how our words can influence the direction of our lives. And for me, that was the most spiritual experience in real time that I could have in, in, in notice. That's interesting. I kind of apply the idea of how our internal dialogue and the way that we process language. I use that um, in terms of scientific research. I'm a writing therapist. Nice. And so, yeah, I've noticed in my research that whether it's a spiritual journey for some people or if people need science to back it up, the way we process language not even so much i mean poets do it by choice but just in terms of internalizing grammar and vocabulary and habitual ways of communicating with each other's 
with each other and ourselves, it changes our attitudes and outlooks. And that in turn changes the choices we make, which in turn moves us on a specific path in life. Yeah. So you're talking a little bit about your influences and such and that and the answer to the last question. So if you talk a little bit more about the musical influences and the poetic influences that help shape you and, and discipline you into kind of your writing uh, practice now. Yeah. So which, uh, definitely growing up, um, you know, in Brooklyn, I was definitely influenced by a lot of hip hop, a lot of R&B. Any jazz. particular artists or anything? Do you um, remember? It's okay. uh, def- I, I love Jay-Z. Hmm. I'm, you know, I'm an 80s baby. And so I feel like he was definitely mainstream and very relevant during the time where I was actually allowed to listen to that type of music. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was one of my favorites for a long time. Um, not just because of the melodies and the type of music, but lyrically, I think he he's also a great poet. Um, as far as poets go, Langston Hughes, definitely one of my favorite. Maya Angelou is one of my favorites, and I think that their works have highly influenced me. Yeah. So I noticed in your in your book, uh, there's a lot, as you were mentioning about love poetry and such, and this kind of the, but it seems like the object of the affection has been switched to kind of a more of a spiritual, like you're taking the love poetry, but you're the format, but it seems like you're kind of bringing it to the spiritual John Dunn style, but happy. Yeah, <laughs> the spiritual idea that it's not like, kind of like Less the object, maybe perhaps is like a, a god or something. I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about how love and love poetry kind of is brought into this inspirational or spiritual traditions in, in your book? So, yeah, absolutely. I believe love comes in so many different forms that, um, you know, for me, it was better to identify with it in the most positive and supreme way that I could possibly connect to it. Um, And and, but not limiting it to its many faces and, you know, facets. I think that some people have what might seem like negative experiences with love while it's beautiful in my opinion. And I try to highlight all of the different um, ideas of love or ways that we can love and express it. Um, For me, like I said, it's instrumental in my life and it's one of my biggest philosophies and principles. And and even if things go wrong and there's pain, we learn something from every interaction and, and we are vulnerable when we open up to people, but love itself never never strikes us down. You, we can get through these things and isolating yourself from each other never really does you any good. So love, even when it sort of tapers off or goes bitter or blows up in our faces, we go on afterwards. Maybe, I don't know if we're better for it, but we're at least different and changes life. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like you have uh, in your book, a uh, really great way of expressing how love can be put in like almost like a formulae kind of a way where mm-hmm. chapter one is include love equals patience plus kindness, etc. And uh, if you talk a little bit about how you or you organize these uh, principles and these formulas in the in the book, uh, um, you know how, you, how, how those formulas uh, percolated in you. Yeah. And I guess that also goes a little bit as as a publisher and i suppose you're your own editor in a lot of, like at least in the beginning like when when you started to put together collections in terms of organizing principles like yeah. vj is saying there's also the question of organizing a collection of writing and how did those mesh absolutely um it was definitely 
you know, all over the place at first. And I did have to come up with a systematic approach to organizing each collection because, as I mentioned, I had some on love. I had some slam poetry, which I try to stay away from. But <laughs> Why do you try to... Sorry, I don't want to no. detour, but, but why do you try to stay away from slam? What is it about that? Well, it, it goes back to one of my beliefs, which means, uh, which is the power of word. And I believe that there's power... And I tend to manifest through poetry. And so mm-hmm. I tend to... So you mean to, you stay away from slam personally? I, personally. Yes. Okay. Yes, personally as a writer. I try not to... And, and I try not to focus on it, but more so look at the optimistic perspectives. Oh, you consider you and, consider slam to be negative? Um, or, I'm not it trying to challenge. Yeah. I'm just trying to but figure wait, out wait, what, how you if define... If we could just define slam. Poetry. Yeah. You mean like, we, we tend to think of this spoken word. Okay. But like, you know, when you tell a story, like I maybe mean that in a different way. Well, like, slam, slam, as far like, as I know, is generally involves a competitive, competitive, or, yeah. competitive aspect. It's spoken. Mm. It's often extemporaneous. But in terms of slam, I what I what I want to understand is how you personally divine, d- define define oh, that yeah. for yourself, and just to kind of get where you're coming from because you seem like a really open person in terms of expression, and I think I'm just not quite getting how slam as or spoken word as a genre seems to. Do you think that meshes with negativity or is is that a specific kind of poetry that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think slam being a specific type of poetry that is somewhat competitive, edgier, tends to it's more like a vent poem in in my mind. Right. That's how I see slam as a venting um, piece of poetry. Um, So for me, I try to vent in a healthy way. I don't for me, it just doesn't resonate. And so, okay. So yeah. it's more of it. It doesn't it's, resonate with you and it's not really what you're trying to do, right. but definitely, you know, works for some people. And Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not yeah. like downing slam, it. Slam. Yeah. yeah. I'm not slamming slam right now. So I guess what, what I'm understanding is that the idea of competition, like we were talking about before, how, if you see competition as a problem in poetry in general, I see where you're coming from that that sort of, in the moment, fast paced challenge, one on one, you know, competition mm. aspect isn't quite where you are right now. Right, I totally right. get it. Okay, sorry, we were talking about yeah, the sure. organization of your collections and yeah. of your philosophies. So let's get back to that. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I think that um, it was very essential for me to create a systematic approach to organizing the book and each collection. Um, and really kind of focusing on the message, the overall message that I wanted to deliver. And essentially what the book is about, where it touches bases on is different emotions, love being one of them and different um, ideas on how to achieve or get to a particular point using equations. So in its simplest form, if we could create a formula to happiness, which is one of the pieces in my work. Oh it my would... goodness, is that in your book? Yes, I need a copy. <laughs> well, I'll get you to read a piece too, a little bit. <laughs> okay, sorry, I had yeah, to have. Yeah. Okay, go on. So if we could create a formula to happiness. All right. Essentially, it, it would it would be spelled out in a specific way. And I do touch bases on what I think that looks like. And so for me, it's just coming up with simple equations that help us kind of keep everything in perspective. In terms of that idea of equation and not control in a bad way, but motivation and agency in love, how do you think as a person, as a writer, as a poet, we should respond to hate in terms of, I guess, promoting the agenda of love? 
how I, it's easy to do with like-minded or positive people, but how should we use that when we meet opposition and resistance, not in terms of ideology, but in terms of people who resist happiness or love or compassion or cooperation? I think we should embrace it. I think we should embrace it wholeheartedly in order to melt it away and kind of do or deal with it in a healthy fashion. Um, I deal with situations like that all the time (laughs) where I have to actually embrace the negative aspects or, you know, the exact opposite of what I'm trying to achieve. And so for me, I run right into situations that seem dark or are you talking about professionally and publishing as well? Generally. Or, or just personally? I'm just yeah. generally, that's kind of across the board, both professionally and personally. Yeah, I know you put down uh, some of the, the, the phrase uh, warrior of the light, which I think is interesting to think about that, you know, like, you know, in, the, in that metaphor, you know, we have light in the darkness. Light, you know, naturally by its nature repels the dark, you know, that the dark is simply the absence of light. And being a warrior of light, being able to, wield the swords of wisdom and you have a lot of uh you know you're kind of building up from love to uh wisdom and and success things like that those kind of prosperity manifestation all these powerful terminology and uh how how do you see yourself as a warrior of light and how do you reconcile that with uh what you're saying about uh running into the running into the dark areas yeah I connect the two by being the love, being, embracing it completely and embodying the spirit of love, embodying the spirit of light and not running from it. So, for example, whether it be a professional situation or personal, if it doesn't seem like it's of the light, we're going to demystify it and and bring light. Like BJ said, It's, it's exactly that. So just this makes me think of something. Um, Annie Dillard in her essay seeing uh, she talks about how when she was a kid, she would leave pennies out on the sidewalk, hoping that and and chalk arrows saying treasure this way. And she would just wait and wait for somebody to come by and find that penny. And she was thinking, oh, this will make their day. This is a treasure, an unexpected bit of happiness. Um, and then obviously cynical adults would come by and be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. But she sort of kept embracing that with a childlike passion and like any good, I guess, warrior of love and light. She didn't get the message and she just kept doing it for a while. Yeah, sometimes but- you need to kind of like uh, keep yourself in your zone. I, I know that they in Queens Library, they have the it's time for kind is coming up around the holiday season. And the need for random act of kindness, for yes. spontaneous and, acts of kindness. And yeah. so I was wondering if, and maybe we could all share, Yeah, what are some examples of everyday kindness that we experience personally? And what is an example of the kind of, I guess, action we could encourage ourselves to take on a daily basis to bring more love into the world? Yeah. So things Uh, that you notice that people or you do habitually and maybe actions we could consciously take. I think I'll just start with just by saying that, you know, a lot of times there's uh, the appearance of anger when uh, or appearance of discomfort when like panhandlers or people come up to you and ask for money and stuff like that. But I think one easy thing, not not always can we give money and always can we give what they want. 
but at the very least we can wish in our heart that they they find happiness that they they find you know economic freedom that they're able to uh progress in their life not be repelled so at the very least we can't have that negative emotion in our heart that of, of repelling of, of hatred or of, at the very least we can make a heartfelt wish that they uh succeed absolutely you know? yeah so if you want to take one, uh, take one thing that you think you do or practice. Absolutely. Yeah. I like to think of that as more of an inward expression, which is essential. Um, but in terms of outward expressions, I personally, I like to give compliments. Hmm. I think that they're you very... You stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think sometimes, yeah. especially, um, you know, women, we don't always acknowledge the beauty or things that we admire about other women. So for me, I particularly focus on complimenting women when I see them or helping people in situations that I'm able to assist them in to kind of demonstrate and be the light, be the love and, and truly represent it to its fullest. Yeah. And I'm going to pick up on that since, since Sam stole my compliment <laughs> one. Uh, another thing is something that the giving compliments does. And uh, something I'm working on is receiving compliments. Not that I get compliments all the time or anything. <laughs> but people, especially in New York, can kind of get freaked out if you go up to a stranger and say, hey, that dress is a great color on you. Um, I love your hair. These sort of innocuous statements that we think in our heads all the time but we're afraid to say out loud because people sometimes get really sort of angry and defensive. Like, Oh yeah. my goodness, you're breaking my personal space. Yeah. Or are you a stalker or things like that? <laughs> so I think um, another way that we can actively manifest is by accepting compliments and kindness in a way that encourages that sort of thing to be a habit among people and to spread in society and be more accepted instead of being an asshole. I totally yeah. agree with you because it can become discouraging if you give someone a compliment and they're like, oh, okay, thanks, whatever. Yeah. Like, what's your deal? Right. Yeah. So, so back to one of the earlier comments, it goes back to embracing even the, the you know, negative energy or reluctant energy that sometimes is dispensed by others because again they're not maybe they're just not used to getting that type of compliment or receiving you know such nice kind words right from a stranger so yeah. and, and that's that's why i'm saying we should do this kind of by example and try to check in with ourselves and see if we're putting that negative energy out there yeah i know sometimes I, uh, this phrase uh the left-handed compliment had come to me so, at some <laughs> Ooh, point in my life scary. and i think that <laughs> i know if you know just, i know that you know this is really a thing but i think when people compliment you it seems like they're undercurrent of a criticism in there <laughs> So I sometimes, yeah, sometimes I, I think that's but not I think, really what Sam was yeah, talking about. No, but I think I think what I was what I'm trying to say is that like disregarding that, shirt, that, yeah, that you know. shirt looks a, yeah. a lot better than the shirt you wore yesterday. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but just trying. I'm not to talking like, about VJ's shirt. His shirt looks <laughs> very nice. <laughs> but I think trying to like ignore or trying trying to look at the compliment aspect of it is important practice, not yeah. to focus on the perceived negative uh, connotation, especially when the intentionality is to give a compliment and and you know? or even if it's not the benefit of the doubt yeah if you think that somebody is trying to attack you with a comment like that why not just realize that it's 50 50 yeah we don't know what's yeah. in that person's head exactly that. and it might just as easily be kind of a, a trip up way of saying something <laughs> that was meant to be nice yeah they just and confusion. so yeah. why go straight to assuming the negative why not say Okay, cool. This is a good shirt on me. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it so also I, goes back to your point. Some people have difficulty receiving. Right. Well, yeah. I'm not saying there's anything bad about it. I'm right. just opening the question yeah, opening of pathways, yeah. how we can accept kindness and love without trying to change anybody else right. or judging anybody else. It's more like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to choose to be happy instead of choosing to be miserable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So why don't we take a moment to, why don't you read a poem? Uh, do you have a copy of it or do you like me to pull up a poem uh, from here? Sure. Yeah. So why don't we take a moment to listen to uh, a poem or two of uh, from the collection of poets, uh, Journey, Bon Voyage by Sam Mayer. Thank you, Vijay. Um, one of my um, favorite poems, this is rather old, but it's, um, it's called Dear Notebook and Pen. And it's a letter to my friendly companion, my notebook and journal. Um, I'm, you know, for years I've been a journaler and I've always kept one with me. And it's so it served as, you know, one of my closest companions, more so than some of my best friends and so I'll read this one for you. Dear Notebook and Pen, you have served your noble purpose. You have been an unconditional friend. You have helped me heal hearts and men's souls. A reliable tool you are to me, a navigator through life, the map in which I record. Solutions to one's problems and a host of luxuries you afford. You've entertained my mind using you, my dear friend, for doodling, sketching, and expressing some of my most intimate ideas. Valuable yet vulnerable thoughts, you, my dear notebook, have experienced firsthand. You were present when I learned to write, serving as my daily companion, from ABCs and 123s to adding, subtracting, book reports and history papers, logarithmic equations and thesis papers. You are an excellent platform for any creation. Your blueprints construct the road to happiness, enabling me to pave a path of success for many trailblazers to come. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's really great how you're able to uh, personify and use personification as a way to uh, access what the uh, practice does to you and how it functions and how it enables you and empowers you and brings that. It's really great. Yeah. I also yeah. really appreciate how... You, you were talking about structure before, and I really enjoyed how you play with um, internal rhyme mm. and sort of allowing yourself to uh, slant at some points and, I guess, seduce the rhyme into the poem uh, so that we follow and have anchors in terms of the echo that poetry brings. But we're constantly brought on a new journey um, because we don't expect an end rhyme every time. I, I just thought your form and structure was really beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, now I know you included about intuition in the in the questions before and the importance of intuition. And you had a story about kind of how you're able to be guided by intuition. If you talk a little bit of intuition, the role of intuition in, in this journey, and then we can go into the story that you had uh, uh, shared. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, intuition is a huge deal for me. It's, it's my internal navigation system that has been responsible for a lot of my success, both professionally and personally. 
Um, and just being obedient to that internal voice that says it's okay to go forward or don't go forward. Um, is It's a skill set that I've practiced listening to and you have to develop it like any other muscle, I think. And so for me, it was just um, a matter of, like I said, being very attentive to that voice. Um, and, and, and at one point somewhere in my early 20s, it indicated, okay, it's time to move forward. Oh, and now I'm very intrigued. So this yeah. period of your life in, the, in your early 20s, what was that event that really made you appreciate your intuition specifically what happened that allowed you to embrace this inner strength yeah you got a really interesting story that you gave so go ahead yeah uh, so pretty much at the time i had, uh, my daughter was really young and i was always like building on my professional career and it was just one day where I was just sick and tired of doing the same things that I did not really appreciate and just being or having to submit to the rules of that particular institution at the time. And it really just ticked me off. I was just pissed off <laughs> one day and realizing that my daughter, I think she was about two at the time. She's 11 today. Um, it, I realized that everything that I had worked for thus far was for her. So why not leave a legacy, something that she could really be, you know, grateful for to see her mom do and, and you know, just be a part of. And that was the moment that um, I went home and I'm a very organized person. So I want to say I was on my way back to New Jersey thinking about these things and just admiring my daughter. And I went home to clean up because I think it was spring. And that's when I found all of my poems that I had written over the last 12 years. And that's when the voice in that moment said, now is the time and act on this. Remind me, what was your job at the time? Because, and at, we had a guest yeah. on a couple of weeks ago who talked about leaving medicine to write poetry. Yeah. What was the job that you were doing that ticked you off that had you stuck uh, before you discovered this cachet of, of beauty? Sure. I was an executive assistant. I worked closely with a very demanding CEO and I was just sick and tired of his crap and <laughs> not enough love in that office. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And the vibes were very, very tight. And for me, it was it was just an environment that I didn't want to be in anymore. And I just wanted to change my situation and truly have impact on not only my life, but my daughter's life uh, going forward. And so a part of my spiritual beliefs and upbringing that I had actually kind of trained myself. Again, again, we didn't have any religious practices or traditions like that in my house outside of like Christmas, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it was it was about it was about being able to follow that voice, that intuitive nudge that said it's time to make a change. And so when I looked at the papers, the poetry, it was huge collection. And, and that's when I was convinced that's when the next step was revealed to me. Now's the time to go forward yeah. in this direction. So, I, oh, sorry. I was gonna say, it seems also I was prompting you for the story uh, that you gave before. It seems like the intuition can be uh, even more anti can be higher even to life and death. And Absolutely. you were telling a story about Labor Day. Uh, that seems really, really interesting how that the anti can be raised that high, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, listen to our intuition. Yeah. I missed that story. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Sure. Uh, one Labor Day growing up in Brooklyn, uh, it was pretty typical. You know, a lot of action usually happens. And I live relatively close to the parkway. Which which neighborhood? In uh, the Crown Heights 
kind of park slope cusp of Brooklyn. Okay, it's a really great. popular area now. Yeah. Um, so like right off of Franklin Avenue and Eastern Parkway is uh, where I'm originally from. And this particular year, my daughter, she was born. She was about four years old. And I have a little brother who's about 10 years younger than me. So he was old enough to babysit. Anyway, I had to work that evening. And he was, was this still baby- as the CEO or still as the assistant? Or was this after you this, left that job? This was definitely still as the CEO, uh, as the um, executive assistant to the CEO. We're tripping because you should have been the CEO, right? I know, right? <laughs> I should have totally been. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I decided, I think this was definitely during my transition or actually it was right before. Okay, The question yeah. was right before the transition. And this could have actually played a huge part in that transition as well, now that I think about it. Um, so... My little brothers, he, he's watching my daughter for me, and I encouraged that they stayed in the house because it could be dangerous in that neighborhood, or at the time it was so pretty um, volatile. <laughs> um, he was obedient, and, you know, later on that evening, around around 7, 8 o'clock, he asked again if they could come outside. And because I was done my shift, I said, okay, I'll be home to get her, and it's fine. Um so I get to my mom's house and I'm happy to see everyone. It's very, you know, late outside and my instincts started kicking in. And I'm like, why do I feel this eerie gut feeling? And I didn't know at the time. And, you know, I just went along with the day. Long story short, my daughter, she's like, mommy, I'm happy to see you. Let's go eat. I want to go to the store. I want snacks. And I'm saying, okay, let's go. So we go to the store and we get a snack. We returned to the steps where my mom lived in front of her house. And my daughter, she wanted to stay outside because she had been in the house all day. And she's like, Mom, can can we stay outside? And can I eat my snacks out here? And I'm like, sure. Were you still feeling like maybe this isn't a good idea or? Up until that moment, up until that very moment. And I'm like, sure. And then instantly this voice. And it didn't even sound like my own voice. It sounded like someone else intervened and it said, no, go in the house. Okay, I know that sounds pretty weird to tell a three or four-year-old, like, after you just said yes, it's like, yes, we can stay outside. No, we're going in the house now. So she was really confused by uh, my, you know, contradicting answer. Anyway, we went in the house, and literally, like, seconds later, I could feel vibrating bullets off of the, the, the building. And unfortunately, you know, there was a massive shootout, you know, New York City cops opened fire, you know, aiming for someone. Unfortunately, you know, they didn't get that someone. They caught everyone else. Oh, goodness. I know. It, so it was very devastating. But if it wasn't for me being obedient to the voice, I would have been right in the line of fire because you know, people who was in front of my mother's home actually did not make it that day. Mm-hmm. A few of my friends and neighbors just were unfortunately lost in the crossfire. But that was the day that intuition saved my life. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm so grateful for it. And there were days where intuition, you know, and that's why for me, I've had situations where not following it has been devastating too. I had another child who, um, I had a son. After my daughter, he is not present with us. He's actually deceased and not following my intuition, you know, is probably a part of the reason why he's not here today. Not that I blame myself, but I, I knew, you know, before I'm very sorry making for your loss. 
Thank you. And, you know, but that, again, it was just another confirmation as to why I should listen to that voice. Yeah. Well, I think you're even just talking about it now, being yeah. really strong and talking, like figuring out some way to integrate it in your life that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a very difficult thing to do. These are very powerful uh, experiences. And I think that being able to navigate them carefully and finding the wisdom that we can, uh, you know, kind of be able to um, understand where we can uh, continue to prosper despite great losses, great uh, potential loss and great, great losses. Um, and this kind of ties back to what you were saying in your uh, thoughts about how, you know, there's so much information today out there. There's so much, so many different things, information age and, and how being able to navigate that with wisdom right. is the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And how it's both the busing and curse. You talk a little bit about, a little bit more about kind of um, how we're able to navigate that personally and find that wisdom. Yeah. And, and maybe how specifically process. writing, played a part in your life during that tragic time yeah yeah absolutely and i think like i said it's a muscle that has to be built you have to practice listening and observing life in order to recognize it because it's always happening in my opinion um especially (laughs) today with so much information uh you know information just flooding Mm. flooding us right it's inundating sometimes and what i find is that You know, just running things through a specific filter helps me eliminate a lot of the options that can, you know, sometimes cause confusion. The static. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What do you think of the idea that the writer, um, not necessarily the poet, but I think poetry is a really good condensed way of understanding this concept. What do you think of the idea as the writer or poet as a witness? to the world around us as a witness and somebody who observes moments and yes, interprets them, but also just witnesses them. Does that strike a chord with you? Or is that something that is, is a little different? Cause I know a lot of people have that philosophy. We've yeah. talked about that, in yeah, the past, I, but I it's not of, something that everybody goes with. Yeah. I kind of disagree with that. So I'd be interested to hear what you think. Yeah. I think yeah. that, I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's limited to writers. I think a lot of people are observant in so many ways. Mm. Um, I think it's it's just the poet who's able to eloquently describe it and, you know, make light of it. Um, but as for me, I think that I'm, I'm pretty straightforward. It's cut and dry for me. Mm. If that makes sense. No, no, I yeah, totally understand. So. And and when I offer these ideas, it's it's less about limiting or categorizing and more about just one way to think about things and bouncing it off. Yeah. yeah. I think definitely like there's there's the idea that or the perception that we can witness without interfering that the actually it seems to me that the observing eye is actually creating. So I don't think it's possible to just be objective and be like this is the situation as it is. Right. Well, I think more rather, about honoring yeah. than recording. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the idea of recording is kind of a misnomer because I mm. think in my perception uh, you know, as we observe, we're creating. So in many ways, uh, I think uh, Sam's journey in my, in my perception is to kind of guide the, that that observation and kind of create the observation in, in a way that's empowering. And even it, struggle and with it on paper. Like, yeah, yeah, struggling with that, uh, struggling with what's there and then kind of creating an empowering way, would you say? or is it, would you, is that I would say it's, it's, sim- it's as simple as observing. And yeah. even, you know... <laughs> From a spiritual perspective, I would mm-hmm. say observing the observer 
is a yeah. big thing for me. And it, it stops there. Um, and if anything, I, I deem myself a reporter. Yes. I try to mm-hmm. report back what I see maybe. But um, other than that, it, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I It's like observing a sunrise. Do I need to talk about it? All No, not necessarily. I just need to appreciate it in that moment and take note of what it does for me and how it makes me feel. And then just wallow in that feeling and be and so it's about being in the moment really and so when i'm observing be it things around me or myself outside of myself Mm because we you know and that's observing the observer in in my opinion stepping back stepping back exactly but also i was listening to you describe you had a moment uh in another interview where you're describing about how and the dunkin donuts you were like observing the sunset sunrise rather and how it was so powerful uh, if you talk a little bit about that and how I think that for most people, sunrises, you know, are common occurrences. They, I mean, you know, they, while beautiful, they don't really appreciate. Exactly. The, I want more the of this, how of inspiration yeah. happened in yeah. a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, yeah, it's, go um, ahead. It's yeah. a poem, actually, yeah. um, out of my book. It's um, Good Morning is the name of the poem. And um, it, it pretty much, <laughs> the backstory is, is I love coffee. I'm like addicted to coffee. I'm Sam and (laughs) I love my coffee. And so when I was putting the book together, a part of my ritual was to wake up every day as a discipline to Mm -hmm. just be up before or with the sunrise. I think that personally, my internal clock was aligned with it and it just felt natural. And so I'd wake up, go get my coffee and sit and use the sunrise as inspiration. Um, and so for me, <laughs> it was going going back to just observing everything. That particular day, I felt the need to report on it. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I was yeah. observing that no one pays or not, you know, people, no one in that area that morning was actually observing right. and seeing what I saw. Yeah. And, and so the poem was describing that experience and yeah, exactly... I give you a chance to find the poem, and then, yeah, I think it's definitely it's so beautiful how you're able to create this pathway for people to be able to appreciate sunrises more, and uh, and, and be I able to focus on that, yeah. While you look for the poem, something that goes back to what we were discussing earlier about how to bring kindness and love into every day. The name of the poem, "Good Morning." Um, I was just thinking this morning when I got coffee, uh, I stopped and I said. Good morning. And yeah. the person giving me the coffee looked up at me as though I were speaking in a different language. And yeah. I kind of realized how infrequently we're in our rush in the morning and we're at the deli and we're like, give me my caffeine. Maybe yeah. we don't say that aloud, but that's what our eyes are saying. And this morning I said, good morning. And don't worry, I'm not in a rush. Um, and I was kind of in a rush, but like not really in a rush. Yeah. It, was, it was just because she looked very, very efficient and and stressed um and i think that maybe something as as just mundane even that was your kind saying, gesture for yeah, the day well, exactly, exactly, yeah. that's the kind of thing and this is where i i was talking more about habit about the habit mm-hmm. of of being more of a human being instead of a robot yeah and understanding that just that kind of training yourself to interact with people as though they you know have feelings. As Sam's saying about the muscle, <laughs> the muscle that needs to be worked out and 
and Absolutely. be able to develop those abilities. Yeah. So let, sure. let's so wish our, our listeners a good morning with some poetry. Yeah. Good morning. Who arises to contemplate you? Who awakes to witness your beauty? To watch the dark creep away like a thief in the night. Only a keen eye will see. Illuminating the sky, you slowly present yourself. A gradual yet synchronized transition you make. As I diligently watch and patiently wait, smoothly you waltz in and I am awake, contemplating your beauty. As carpenters construct, men are loading trucks, chefs are prepping while city buses lug. People stopped for coffee-filled mugs. Simultaneously, an exchange of kisses, kisses and hugs between parting kids and parents. But who arises to contemplate your beauty? To appreciate what's apparent. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, so great. Thank you, DJ. Thank you. So that idea of just noticing and taking a moment to feel gratitude for something that happens every day. Well, we hope it'll keep happening every yeah. day. Absolutely. But, um, so, <laughs> so that I, that idea um, bring kind of. Uh, inspires the concept of of gratitude. Yeah. And uh, at the risk of sounding too cheesy and self-helpy, which whatever, (laughs) I'll go with it. Can we all, can we each say something that we're grateful for? Yeah. Because that's just a little different than an example of love. That's something, it's just a really positive thing to do. So maybe we could each say something we're grateful for this morning. Well, first and foremost, I'm grateful for both of you for this invitation here. I'm grateful for, again, that intuitive voice always guiding me and serving as an internal navigation, because had it not been, I wouldn't have attended uh, the Poetry Festival and I wouldn't have met DJ. And then this wonderful opportunity might not have happened. And so for that, I am very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. DJ. Okay, so I'm very grateful for these opportunities to be able to uh, connect with people, be able to connect with their philosophies. So many times we meet people and we don't appreciate the world, the cosmos of uh, of, of insight and wisdom that is, is held within and, and, and from people that we meet passingly in the street. And being able to take a moment to sit down and, and have that dialogue is, is so empowering and so liberating, really, to be able to... Uh, free ourselves from negative patterns and and find pathways to uh, appreciating daily events that that happen all the time, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I am grateful for the act of listening in the world. So for everybody who woke their asses up at <laughs> eight in the morning and are listening to us and for everybody who takes time out of their Thursday or whenever to actually find this in the archives and listen. Thank you. But also in general, and as somebody who can ramble on and get very excited <laughs> about talking about things, thanks for everyone who is, thanks to everyone who has ever listened to me with at least the polite appearance <laughs> of enthusiasm <laughs> rather than like, a, is my time to talk now? Yeah. <laughs> When's she going to stop? Because that happens too, and I get that too. But yeah. anyway, thank you, listeners. Yeah. It's really great. I think that showing gratitude and such shows so much of the interdependence and oneness of things and how we can participate and co-create this world and show... Um, Ooh, you know, co-creating talk- the world. Yeah, co-creating. I like that, yeah. 
And I think we were talking in the pre-interview question, talking about how the personal is political and how um, you talked a little bit about how um, we're all influenced either directly or indirectly by the actions of, of all of us. So we talked a little bit about kind of how that interdependence and how that, that you know, what, what kind of pathway you're creating and such. Yeah. And, and I think maybe for me, I would love to hear a little bit about how your theory of love relates to politics. And yeah, the personal being political. Yeah, personal, that's exactly what I was getting into. Yeah. Well, I definitely think that um, there is a interconnectedness between all of us, um, whether we acknowledge it or know how exactly we're connected. Um, just the idea of thoughts being transferable or ideas developing, and you know, people having similar concepts. And not having known each other or been, you know, <laughs> near one another, just developing these things shows that, okay, there's some sort of uh, energy transference in the ether that allows us, if no other way, it allows us to remain connected uh, mentally or, you know, in some other intangible way that we have yet Technologically. to Technologically. Yeah. now we have uh, yeah. the information age that literally keeps us uh, plugged in and intertwined. But um, in terms of politics, how this all works together, oh, it's it's definitely working together in some weird, mysterious way. Yeah, I, I can't say that I know exactly how. Um, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to like. Sometimes it's easy to think politically in the sense of what, how things should, how you know, governments or city governments should act. But it's more about how they should, um, how we should, how as people. We should view, um, you know, these things that more like we shouldn't be too rigid and 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 clinging on to. You know, I think that one of the ideas we explored was that uh, people who are fanatics or whatever are very confident, whereas the people who are intelligent are very full of doubt. And I think Bertrand Russell, I think, says something along those lines. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but uh, uh, you know, the idea that the unknowing and the, and the doubt is okay and to sit with. And to be there and show what it reveals to us, you know? I really like what you said about the idea. Well, I don't really love the fact that people who are angry are, tend to be confident. But one thing that I think is really important is to use your energy not just to not just in protest, but also in practice. Yeah. So to focus not just on what we should tear down and change, but and not even just on ways to get involved especially yes of course get involved in protesting and making your voice heard yeah. but there's also a lot that we can do even if it's a, at the local level right. to build things and Absolutely. and mm. to put into practice the ideals that we're defending and promoting and that is always a positive gesture and i think sometimes that gets lost a little bit in this need to communicate the things that are unjust or that causes anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I think people are gung-ho about huge issues, but tend to overlook the local issues that are found in their community. And I think starting at a community level is definitely where I am, um, which is why I've actually rolled out with a student publishing program that could actually help young girls in urban areas or suburban areas find their voice using poetry as a, a platform and method as well. So for me, that's where... I'll start in my community and then outward. So one just last, this isn't really a plug, but uh, 
it's an, an invitation to get involved. If you check out rockawaywritersworkshop.org, sure, you can join us for the workshops, but we're also just starting a free event series where anybody can come experience readers and expand the writing community. So yeah, it'd be awesome if you signed up and got a class card, but hey, if not, come out and yeah. drink free wine and listen to readers because that's awesome too. Oh yeah, yes. sign me up, please. So, <laughs> you don't even have to sign up. You can just show up. <laughs> It's so important with, uh, you know, connecting with our communities and understanding that uh, this is where we get our most direct um, experience. And uh, maybe you should tell us a little yeah. bit about Radio Free Brooklyn. Before yeah, we sign off. it says we sign off. Yeah. So Radio Free Brooklyn is one of those organizations as a nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So you have the power to help support our mission. We invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Every cent helps to, helps us continue to stay on air. So please can support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Um, also, to find out more information about our events, you can sign up for our newsletter at readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. So, uh, yeah, that's great. And we also have an after-school program, so find out more about that. Everybodyforbrooklyn.org slash after school. So it's really great things are happening. And uh, thank you so much, Sam. Thank We're you. We're going to go to a, uh, a song, which is actually really interesting. Uh, building steam with the grain of rice or grain of salt, I believe. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. listening to records I just knew what to do I mainly taught myself and you know I did pretty well I said there were a few mistakes but uh, that I made that uh, I have just recently cleared up you know I'd like to just continue to be able to express myself as best as I can and I feel like I have a lot of work to do still you know I'm a student and I'm also a teacher of the drums too. <laughs> 